This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, April 25th, the Changing the Children's Music Game edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 7, and Teddy, who's 5. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Zach Rosen. I host the Best Advice Show podcast. I live in Detroit with my family. My daughter Noah is four, and my son Ami is one. My name is Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. Today on the show, Zach is talking with comedian, dad, and podcasting extraordinaire Chris Garcia about his new show, Finding Rafi. In the sequel to Finding Fred, the podcast about Mr. Rogers, hosted by the one and only Carvel Wallace, this new season is about the world-renowned children's musician's legacy and his impact on the music industry and children's ears and hearts. But before we get into that, we were thrilled by a recent post on Facebook asking how we've created our own mini-monsters. So many of you reached out to share. Here are a few of our favorites. My daughter was fussy one day in the car, and I, of course, started handing her Tic Tacs and goldfish to keep her quiet. Now she has trained me to provide her snacks every time we get in the car. This is Casey. I started the monster thread, and I'm super happy to hear that you are interested. I need a snack. We're getting in the car. I think we've all been on this one, right? Please tell me. I, I mean, I this has definitely happened to us. I feel like I'm like that, too. Like, I need a snack when I drive now. My younger daughter never took a bottle because I worked from home and it just worked out to nurse her whenever she needed it. But when it came time to wean her, it was really difficult. And the last one to go was bedtime. So I tried one of her sister's baby bottles and it worked really well. And it became hot milk in a bottle for her nighttime routine. However, as she progressed through toddlerhood, the hot milk in a bottle routine has escalated. She now requires two bottles. She has to hold the bottle while we fill it. She has to put it in the microwave and press start and get it out of the microwave. And her second bottle has to be gotten by daddy who will get the milk and bring her and the milk back up to bed where I am waiting. Because she's tired when all of this is happening, failure to do one of these steps results in absolute mayhem. So she is almost four now. I have no idea how to stop this. And we've created a bottle monster out of a breastfed baby. She can go get the bottle herself. She can like turn on the microwave. (laughs) This is great. You can hear the frustration in her voice, can't you? This is bad. Maybe move the microwave into her room. That is funny. Hi, mom and dad. We created a monster by allowing my son to overhear me accuse my husband of man looking one too many times. You know, the concept of a man not looking very hard for that thing he's missing and then a woman looking and finding it immediately. Well, now my six-year-old uses it all the time. He says he must be man-looking because he can't find it, and he asks me to find it instead. You're going to get called into an office for this. I've been a fan of drinking lemon water for many years, since I was in my 20s. And I have introduced my kids to it, and now I've raised children who will not (laughs) drink plain water without wrinkling their noses at it. You got some bougie kids. Nothing wrong raising kids with a little taste. This has happened to us, but with sparkly water. Like, they just categorically reject (laughs) 
water that has not been fizzed. But where are the bubbles, mother? And you just feel so embarrassed (laughs) when they're like, do you have bubbly water? Hi, Mom and Dad. I've created a cake pop monster. My daughter likes to get cake pops when I go through the Starbucks drive-thru, and it's an easy snack. She also likes to get them after doing things like swimming lessons and haircuts. I didn't realize how big of a monster it was until we drove by a Starbucks and she proudly proclaimed, Hey, Mom, there's the cake pop store. And that is my monster. Your child terrifies me because cake pops are uncooked. It's a dessert that I feel like was made for me. Like, I like cake. I like pops. Like, it's supposed to be delicious and it's not. So the fact that your child can eat that raw dough that they serve at my beloved Starbucks is frightening. That's not terrible. It never seems fully cooked to me. Oh, so wet. I didn't know that it was raw. Well, I think it's because it's mixed with icing. It's like 90% icing. It's like they crumble cake. <laughs> so wet. Yeah, and then they mix it with icing, and then they dip it in fondant. <laughs> I have many friends who this is, because it's just so easy, right? Like, I'm getting a coffee. You get a cake pop. <laughs> We've done this. We have Dutch Brothers here in Colorado. So at Dutch Brothers, they have tiny kids' drinks, and they're like, you know, 2 or $3. And so it feels like, oh, okay, I'll get them a little... A little drink. And so what's happened is now they are like, Mom, do you want to drive through and get some Dutch Brothers? Because they know that I'm going to get them a kid's hot cocoa every time. It's awful. I don't know. Have you guys, have you guys created monsters? I, to some extent, Naima's taste makes her a monster. Like the fact that she's constantly asking for like duck and crab. I'm like... These are special occasion foods that we eat on special occasions. And so that you're just like, "Mm, I haven't had duck in a while, you know, definitely monster behavior. Has she done that in front of someone? And embarrassed me. Zach, how about you? Any monster behavior? Yeah, this is kind of monster light, but Noah's gotten into the habit of just being too lazy to put her shoes on. And I need to carry her to the car. And then when she's in the car for more than five minutes, she takes them out and requires that I carry her back to the house, which I indulge because... She's so cute. But yeah, it's like, what am I, a full-time carrier? Well, this was so hilarious. Thank you, Casey, on the Facebook group for this absolutely delightful thread. Thank you for sending in your voice memos. Be sure to join us over there in the Facebook group if you want in on the fun. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the world of children's music. If you're new to our show, welcome. Whether you're a parent, educator, or just interested in this wild journey, we're so glad to have you. Here on Mom and Dad Are Fighting, we share our parenting triumphs and fails, offer some advice, and share recommendations of things we love. We're here twice a week on Monday and Thursday, so subscribe to never miss an episode. Okay, Zach is going to talk to Chris Garcia about Rafi in a minute. But before we get into that, I thought we could dish on the latest musical obsessions in our homes. What have you all been listening to lately? Jamila? Well, I'm still largely going along with Naima's playlist. Um, She's in a Janet Jackson stage. Janet's very important to her. She watched the documentary on Lifetime, and she's very passionate about her right now. So we're listening to Janet. There's still an Aaliyah Selena thing happening, too. We're still loving the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, we're still in the 36th Chamber. 
what else? And, you know, like she picks up new, you know, she picks up random songs here and there that she loves. She really wants to like Megan the Stallion and Doja Cat more, but they just don't make a lot of music that's super appropriate for her. So it's kind of like we like them more in theory. That's what we've been jamming to lately. What about you all? I mean, Naima's got much better taste than Noah. And New Edition forever. I'm sorry. That goes without saying. New Edition forever, for sure. Forever and ever and ever. Noah has been exclusively requesting Moana in Spanish, Tangled in Spanish, and Canto in Mandarin. Yeah, so just Disney shit in Spanish or just other languages other than English, which is fun, but it's like... I've I've listened to I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan from 1998 in Spanish like 50 times this week. I'm not in a very good place, friends. We're all so deep into the Encanto in Mandarin. <laughs> it started out, they were listening to it in Dutch, which the kids spoke Dutch when we lived there. And so we were like, oh, this is great. And then I'm not sure how we got to Mandarin, but that is where we are firmly planted. Uh, so I don't know if that's like in the just like floating around <laughs> in the availability of Encanto on the Alexa device in many languages. I don't know. I do a lot of vitamin string quartet when the kids are doing school. It's like what's playing in the background of my house. They do the Bridgerton <laughs> soundtrack. I must have mentioned it to them because now their favorite thing to do is be like, Alexa, play Bridgerton. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, geez. I mean, the music's great. And it's it's great study music. I just feel like they have no concept about, you know, Bridgerton as a show, what it is. We're just really enjoying listening to that. Did your kids go through Raffi phases? Uh, No. Baby Beluga was like our go-to book for a long time. And then I would sing it. And then that became like, no night could end without Baby Beluga. And I still kind of do that when we're having like a tough night. It's like, it seems to trigger everyone like, hey, it's kind of bedtime to settle down. And I guess at preschool, they're doing the down by the bay rhyming because that independently of knowing you had this interview came up in the car as like, hey, you want to play this game I learned at school where I sing this song and then we make up funny rhymes. So we've been big into that. Zach, are yours listening to Rafi? Noah went through it. Ami's not quite there yet, but there was definitely a good like year-long period where we were doing lots of lots of Rafi. And yeah, I mean, since the 70s, so for a couple generations, Rafi has had, I don't want to call it a stranglehold because it's much gentler. He's had a hold over the hearts and minds and imaginations of of children around the country and around the world. Like he is the goat. Of children's music, and so much so that there's this new 10-part series about Raffi called Finding Raffi. It's the second season of the kind of Finding series. The first season was Finding Fred, all about Fred Rogers, hosted by the incomparable, incredible, brilliant Carvel Wallace. This new season is hosted by the comedian and podcaster Chris Garcia, who's a lovely guy. He's hilarious and went really deep, not just talking to Rafi, but talking to his collaborators and a whole bunch of other folks to really like synthesize and articulate like what is it about Rafi that is so mesmerizing to kids. And and he really is that. He's mesmerizing. It's really good. It's not it's a podcast for adults. So if you grew up listening to Rafi, if you're kind of stuck in a Rafi phase now, I thought I would go in and listen to it and be like, oh man, I'm so sick of this now. But it actually did very much give me a new appreciation 
for Rafi. So here he is. This is my conversation with Chris Garcia, the host of the new series, Finding Rafi, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So my whole life I was saying Rafi. I was not saying Rafi until you told me how to properly pronounce this guy's name. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I said Rafi as well. So I learned right before meeting him that I was saying his name wrong. So <laughs> you're not alone. But yeah, it is Rafi. Yeah, I have to correct myself like in my head every time I'm about to say it. It's Rafi. It's Rafi. And he, he says it's Rafi like Daffy. Like he's got a whole shtick about it. But it is, it is Rafi. So I know you're, you're a big music guy, a big music fan. Are you able to articulate like what it is specifically about Rafi's music that resonates with you? You know what? I think it's very genuine and you could hear it. And the um, what I really like is the musicality as well. Like if you listen to the production of his music, it's pretty perfect. Like the arrangements sometimes like in Baby Beluga, there's a slide whistle for a second and that's all you get. But it's so uh, well crafted and so well intentioned and it's just very catchy. But then also there's a slight vulnerability in his voice where sometimes his voice sounds kind of sad. And I think that taps in, at least for me, I kind of tap into that because it just feels really pure that he's like really uh, opened up his heart and his emotions like this. I don't know what it is. Other kid singers don't have this. And I'll play other music for our baby. And uh, anytime she gets cranky in the car, I'll just put on some Raffi song and magically she'll just quiet down. And there's something in the tone of his voice um, that is very touching that I really enjoy, yeah. Yeah, that kind of melancholia, it makes me think back to an early episode in the series where we get to learn Rafi's origin story, which I never knew. He moves to Toronto when he's young, but he was born in Egypt after his grandparents fled Turkey during the Armenian Genocide, this kind of brutal chapter in, in world history. What did that like traumatic past that, that Rafi comes from, what did that help you understand about the person he would become and the kind of icon he would become? Well, I really related it to it on a personal level because my parents fled Cuba in the late 60s and early 70s. My dad was in a prison camp and stuff. So we have like kind of similar origin stories that they came, uh, you know, they immigrated to the United States and Rafi's to Toronto. And so I, I kind of understand the, like his relationship with his parents because they have his parents were artists and stuff or his dad was like a a portrait artist uh, and he comes from a family of artists and they really had very high expectations of him in terms of you know schooling and the type of art he was going to make and he was a product of the 60s so he he was a hippie so he didn't always like relate to his family and so there was a gulf between who he was and who his parents wanted him to be And that's something that I really related to. And I think that's also, it was confusing for him to grow up in a family like this where he knew he was loved, but he didn't know exactly how because sometimes his parents were mean to him or or abusive in, in, in ways, you know? And so he grew up kind of confused as to whether he was really loved and really respected. And so, of course, he internalized all this and then he brings it into his music where he wants to maybe share the love and the feelings and the support and the acceptance that perhaps he never got with kids. And it's just really beautiful. It comes from such a pure place, but his, you know, his troubled uh, childhood is 
informs how he approaches his music and how he meets kids, which he just, his idea of just like respecting a child for exactly who they are is something that he didn't have, but he knows, but he wants to share with the children of the world. And it's very, it's just very beautiful. I'm just, I was so blown away by getting to know him. I should say that you're a dad. Uh, Our listeners might not, might not know that, but you have uh, a child named Sonny, correct? Yeah, she's uh, 14 months old now. But yeah, we have a child named Sonny. So this notion of of Rafi kind of meeting kids where they are, I understand he developed a philosophy around it called child honoring. And part of it says children are here to learn their own song. So as a new dad, like how do you think about the ways in which you can guide your child, your Sonny, to, to learn their own song? I think it's mostly by doing that, it's just that is guiding and not getting in the way, really. And just really listening and learning from her. She'll give me the, the cues and, and she'll provide context of what she's growing into and becoming. And my job is not, not to get in the way of that. And sometimes, like, I am left-handed and my father's left-handed and I have such a special bond with left-handers and I'm like, oh my God, I hope she's left-handed. And so my instinct is like, maybe we should tie her right arm behind her back or <laughs> like they used to do back in the day, but to make her left-handed. And there's these little things I was like, oh my God, I hope she loves volleyball because she's going to be very tall. Her mother's six foot two. She plays volleyball. She doesn't have to pay for college. This is going to be amazing, you know? And so, and I just... That's my instinct, but I can't do it. I just have to bite my tongue and let her be who she wants. Maybe I'll put a volleyball in the crib and maybe she'll like it and maybe she won't. But she's, I'm going to let her dictate what she wants to be and who she wants to become. But it's really most about, I think, just acceptance and just uh, accepting what she's into, uh, what she likes. And of course, you know, making sure she's safe and stuff like that. But the way I see it, is I just want to um, make sure she knows that she's loved and that she's capable of love and all these things and she feels safe in this world. But there's nothing like feeling accepted with exactly who you are. And I think if we can do that, then it's a job well done. You spend a decent amount of time in the series talking about all the ways in which Rafi could have made a lot more money. You know, if he would have been open to endorsements and merchandise and, and all that stuff. And part of me was like, in like awe and deep respect of of his restraint and those decisions he made, but there was also this moment where I got this like slight whiff, and I'm not talking shit. Maybe I am a little bit, but I got I got like this slight whiff of self righteousness from him, and you grill him like kind of hard about where his line in the sand was and is around endorsements and stuff. What was it like to challenge Rafi in that way? I was scared for my life in this weird way. <laughs> I felt like I was like lost at sea all of a sudden, like surrounded by sharks. I was cause, because he's so nice. And, but I wanted to know the truth. And it was like, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a comedian. And like, but I wanted to kind of know where that line was. Cause it's not clear because he did make a song for Fern Gully, but then he said no to Happy Meal Toys or becoming his own Pixar movie. And I really wanted to know. And he was so generous with his, his, his entire life and his, his work and, and his time and everything. And so he became a little defensive and I was like, what am I, I was like, what am I doing right now? Like, but I couldn't, I, I couldn't help myself because I wanted to know. 
But it felt really bizarre because he was such a loving person. But, you know, I really admire that he really he's stuck to his guns and he's he's really kind of ahead of his time. Like he was like anti-corporate and an environmentalist since the 80s. You know, it was like, you know, he's pretty much like, yeah, no one was talking about any of this stuff. And he he has convictions and he's very he feels very strong about them. And when I challenged him, he was like, oh, yeah, well, don't don't come at the king, young man. And I was like, OK, fine, fair. Did Rafi's, you know, many lines in the sand make you think differently at all about the way you go about being a, an artist? Yeah, it really made me think about like the intention that I create with and, I, and think about how it's going to affect Sonny. And kids, you know, like I, you know, stand-up comedy is often crude and it's dirty and it's disgusting and you're revealing terrible things about yourselves or pushing boundaries with with ideas and what's right and wrong and stuff. And I'm not like a raunchy, mean comic anyway, but it made me want to create work that I'd be proud of, that I'd be proud to share with my daughter and stuff. Prior to this, I was like not interested in doing any type of children's content, you know, because... I'm like, I'm an artist and that's corny and it's for kids. And it's like, no, you can make really beautiful art for children, kind of in the way that Rafi has. And it's kind of opened my eyes to that and made me want to like work on kids shows like never before, like create like an animated show for kids would be so cool. Like I've always just kind of shied away from it and I'll get, you know, I'll be asked to be in um, animated stuff or like sent audition stuff to work on kids stuff and I've always been like I'm not gonna be you know turtle number seven or something that's like no maybe it'd be really nice to do like a good show or something like Sesame Street or like like something positive putting something positive like that into the world would be really wonderful so it's kind of opened my eyes to that because because there was a moment when when Rafi himself was trying to be a serious singer-songwriter but he pivots in the 70s to doing this kid stuff. Can you describe a little bit of what that arc was like for him? Sure. So Rafi was like plying his wares, performing in the like Toronto coffee shop scene of the late 60s, early 70s. It's just He was like a long hair and he wore like braided jackets and stuff. And he was just like, he's performing like cover songs and he's and like just pretty much traditional folk music and stuff like that. And he's trying to make a living. And then he um, he starts performing for this program that they have in Canada where folk musicians go play in schools. And um, he really enjoyed it. And at the time, he was with his uh, then-girlfriend, who was a teacher, and their friends were teachers. And um, her mother was a teacher. And they're like, Rafi, you should maybe consider making songs for kids and performing songs for kids. And he did, and he was really great at it. And um, he's such a perfectionist that he was like, I really want to do this right. So with his girlfriend, his girlfriend's mom, and their friends created this thing called The Committee. They would kind of advise him on how to perform for kids, what kind of music kids like, what songs are popular with kids. And he just kind of start. he really listened to them, and he put together an act or his, uh, his musical set, and then it really took off. And then he uh, recorded, he recorded his first album. I think it was for like a thousand dollars. And uh, with, it just happened to be Daniel Lenoir, one of the greatest rock producers of all time, was just living in Northern Canada and recording with his brother in his parents' basement. 
You could already tell the guy's a great producer, but it just um, sounded so great. Raffi and the committee, and uh, they would just go to different record stores and like, they just like bring a record player and play the music at the record store. And that was a really great idea. It was kind of like how hip hop guys would sell CDs out of their trunks and play the music. Yeah, it's so like, it's so incredible, real grassroots. All the songs really took off. And then um, he started his own record label and just, uh, you know, I don't know how many albums he's made now, probably over 20. But uh, yeah, he started recording albums every year and they started selling out and he became more and more popular and then he then he really took off. If Rafi, now that you have such a, you know, a nice rapport with him, if he called you and asked to collaborate on a song, what would you want the concept to be? I think it would be really nice to do something about living between cultures, which is like something that both he and I where we really meet is like growing up in one culture, but then living in a different one. And I think it would be really nice for kids that grow up with immigrant parents or any situation like that. It would be a fun song to collaborate on bridging those two and how that's okay. Because, I mean, it could be very confusing growing up in a house and then going to a school that's completely different and being like, what is this? But I think something like that would be really kind of a wonderful message that I really haven't even heard in a music, in like a song before. I think we just made a million dollars. Just the last thing, Chris, that has stuck with me after having listened to this really wonderful series that you made. This notion of like, and it sounds so lame out of context, but it's so true and resonant when you hear the arc of, of Rafi's life, this just idea of choosing joy. How do you do that in your day-to-day life? Like, how do you actually remind yourself to choose joy like Rafi has? You're right. It sounds so corny, right? It sounds like something that would be bedazzled on a pillow, you know, <laughs> that you would see like at Target or something. But it is truly something so difficult. And I think it's just about holding on to those moments that give you joy. And this is something that I experienced while my father was actually dying from Alzheimer's disease, which is like a concept that really got my family through it. But there's just these moments, no matter how crazy difficult life is or how dark it could become and how scary it is, there'll be one moment of beauty that can just fill your heart and you just have to try to hold on to it. Like, like a firefly in a bottle or something, you know, you just want to hold on to that and just know that it's possible and just love that moment and try to bring it into every moment of your life. The day before my wedding day, my father was in a home and he couldn't attend the wedding and it really broke my heart. And I went to visit my dad and I was just sitting there with him and I was just trying to tell him that you would love Val and you, this is such a special day. I wish you could be there. And I just started, um, I started crying in a way that was like really, it was very difficult. Just my dad couldn't be there. And he was gone by then. Most of the time he didn't know who any of us were. He was at in the later stages of Alzheimer's disease. And he just like walks over and starts hugging me and rubbing my back. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, for that one second. My dad might know who I am again and recognizes this moment and is there for me. And he, maybe he didn't even know who I was, but I just took that moment and I appreciated it. And it just like, I could think back to that moment and it just fills me with so much love and joy and makes everything feel like it's going to be okay. Cause there's, in that moment, there's nothing much sadder that I could think of personally than my dad not being able to see the greatest day in my whole life. You know, uh, the guy who taught me how to, 
be a nice guy to a woman like he was to my mom. My dad was such a sweetie pie and made me a sweetie pie and he couldn't be there. But in that moment of him rubbing my back and just like patting me in the back, like right now, I'm just so happy again. <laughs> you know, it's just like recognizing these moments and that they're possible and just to let you kind of guide you and, and just, I don't know, it, it's a spirit that's so beautiful that we can just all kind of tap into when we want to. And that's what I kind of feel about choosing joy. Like that day could have been very sad and it ended up being just another wonderful day. Thank you so much. Thanks, Zach. It's finally time for some recommendations. Zach, what do you have for us? On the heels of my interview with Chris Garcia about Rafi, I've just been thinking a lot about Rafi's arc as a person, as this grandchild of people who survived the Armenian genocide and comes out on the other side of it as someone who like has made it a conscious decision and has made it his life's work to like choose joy in the face of tragedy and just you know the monotony of life and I've just been thinking about like what can I do to like seize these little mini moments throughout the day so my recommendation in in choosing joy my my personal thing that I like to do when I have to throw something in the garbage, I, instead of just going up to the garbage, I like take 10 steps back and treat it like a basketball game or like I'm pitching like in like the, like in the world series, like I, I'm imagining a crowd cheering for me. And, you know, so, so just like my recommendation is to think of those banal moments throughout your day when you're just kind of going through and just plodding along. And if you need a little jolt, like make a game out of life when and where you can. Jamila, what are you recommending? I am recommending a book that came out last year called The Prophets by Robert Jones Jr. I am late to the party. It is not only a New York Times bestseller, it was best book of the year, according to NPR, The Washington Post, Time, USA Today. There are pages of accolades. Like, I have not seen this before in a book that didn't come out years and years ago. You know, that that's not a, a classic. I mean, critically acclaimed is an understatement. It was a National Book Award finalist. It's a novel that is largely focused around an enslaved couple, two gay men. And I've never really, you know, in fiction, come across any sort of reference to homosexuality on the plantation. You know, there's not talk about, you know, white free gay men in that era very often, let alone, you know, enslaved persons. And it's just really beautifully written. It's just fascinating. You know, I think it takes a story or a chapter in American history that a lot of us have spent a lot of time with and others not so much. But I think regardless of the extent to which you've delved into this kind of historical fiction before, there's something that you will take away from it. It's just really just incredibly beautifully written book. Yeah, I've been seeing it mentioned everywhere. It looks really incredible. Yeah, I read like almost all of it on the flight back. Listener Lucy wrote in to ask if I could recommend more podcasts that I listen to with the kids that I find entertaining, but that are also kid appropriate. So I am recommending the podcast Ologies, which is a science podcast that sort of deep dives with a scientist into one particular topic. And you should definitely pick one of these that your kids are interested in too. It's not entirely 
like clean, like there are some use of curse words every now and then. So if that's something, obviously look into the episode that you're listening to. But we really, really enjoyed the episode on foraging ecology, which is eating wild plants with Alexis, who on Instagram is at Black Forager. You should also follow her on Instagram. She is just like, if someone could be super excited about the plants you're finding and also connecting that to like the culture of having to forage and find your food and connecting to her ancestors and just these wonderful stories but also learning so much about these plants. It was a wonderful episode. There was one just recently on kind of sea animals, urchins and things like that that Henry really loved. There's a great one on ADHD that is amazing if you have someone with ADHD in your life that I definitely recommend. Allie Ward is the host and she's super fun. She explains everything. So she sort of is doing this interview, but pops out to talk to the listener like, hey, I had to Google this or I had to look this up or in case you're wondering. And they're just like really great, so informative. And she finds the most amazing, diverse group of experts. So I've just been so pleased with how many like women and people of color are featured. And it's not just your like this guy from Harvard who has this degree. Like it's been an amazing experience with the kids. And it's what we're kind of listening to on road trips when we're all in the car. And I just, you know, don't want to do like the kids podcast thing anymore. So Ologies podcast is wonderful. They've got episodes on everything. So so give it a listen. And as a little bonus recommendation, Zach, you actually talked to another former mom and daughter fighting co-host recently on your show, right? I did. I got to connect with Rebecca Lavoie finally after having listened to her for so many years. Uh, yeah, she came on my show to offer one morsel of advice. It was a very good one. That advice is to get really honest about what you suck at at work and communicate that to your colleagues so that they know and that they can kind of fill in the gaps around your shortcomings because we all have them. I think it's brilliant advice. Well, that's amazing. And we will link to your show in the show notes as well. Thank you. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds on Thursday. Subscribe to the show so that you don't miss it. If you rely on the show for parenting advice, consider signing up for Slate Plus. It's the best way to support this show. Members will never hear another ad on any other Slate podcast. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Again, that's slate.com slash mom and dad plus. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Jasmine Ellis. For Zach Rosen and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.